Welcome to the ThinkCast from ThinkCon 2012. I'm Sarah Castor-Perry and in this episode I'm speaking to Stephen Law, philosopher and author of Believing Bullshit. Okay, Stephen, do you want to just start off by explaining the whole concept of intellectual black holes and what they are? Sure, well, um, in space you find these massive objects that suck other objects in. Uh, and once you've passed the event horizon, there's no, there's no coming out again. It seems to me that our cultural landscape contains the intellectual equivalent of a black hole, of black holes. Um, their belief systems constructed in such a way that innocent passers-by get sucked in, never to escape. And what are some examples of those, like the ones that you mentioned in your talk? Well, um, there are religious cults, for example, um, but then there are also... Um, New Age belief systems, um, some political belief systems, Marxism, for example, can turn itself into a very effective intellectual black hole that uh, turns people into willing slaves of claptrap. So it's not just religion that we're talking about here. It can be kind of any sort of belief system, like conspiracy theories, anything like that. Exactly. Although, having said that, religion produces some of the most impressive examples. Why do you think that they suck people in, particularly apparently quite intelligent, well-educated people, they get taken in just as much as anyone else. Why do you think that is? Well, that, I mean, I'm, remember, I'm a philosopher, not a psychologist. And it's a kind of, it's a psychological question why certain kinds of belief are more attractive, more seductive. Um, you know, I've got various ideas about that. But there's no doubt, for example, that belief in God, religion, it has an, has an incredible power to get smart college educated people to believe absolutely ridiculous things 130 million americans believe that the entire universe is 6000 years old and religion is what has got them to believe that religion certainly does have an absolutely extraordinary power to get people to believe silly silly things which is not to say that all religion is wrong or false but you've got to you've got to stand back in awe at that kind of a power to get people to really believe bullshit am i allowed to say bullshit by the way and you have to bleep it out okay right. fine. okay um, <clears throat> so what what are some of the examples of the strategies that they use to sort of draw people in and then keep them there and then argue their corner i suppose i mean you mentioned things like the the mystery the concept of the veil that kind of thing yeah, I, I've identified eight mechanisms in the book which tend to be applied um, to produce these kind of intellectual black holes. And you find different belief systems combine them in different, in different ways. There's no one single recipe. Um, but examples are heavy reliance on mystery to deal with apparent counter-evidence and arguments. Belief systems that habitually uh, rely on mystery to get them out of trouble, that's, that, you know, if your belief system does that, a little red light should be coming on. You should be a little bit concerned um, about the fact that your belief system does that. Um, there's a strategy I call going nuclear, which involves when your belief system is threatened by an argument, you just get very, very skeptical about reason generally, for example. You say, but look, reason is just another kind of belief system. Uh, why suppose that reason is true? In order to justify reason, you'd have to use reason. And so reason itself cannot be justified. It's, so by running that kind of skeptical argument, you can bring every belief system down to the same level, um, rationally speaking. And so you can then walk away with your head held high, maintaining that your belief is just as reasonable as your opponent's. Of course, that's 
that that's a dishonest ploy because the person that goes nuclear really doesn't they aren't really skeptical about reason they were using reason up until the argument turned against them they trust their life to reason every single day of their lives um so it's just a, it's just a ploy that they're using and it's in, it's intellectually dishonest so the idea of using science and reason to refute some of these kind of claims i mean like you said you're a philosopher you're not a scientist do you think there are some questions that philosophy is more suited to address than science within this context? Well, I, I think a philosophy is basically a um, conceptual investigation, conceptual engineering rather than empirical investigation and in, in empirical engineering. Some puzzles appear to be conceptual puzzles and in order to solve them you need to engage in conceptual reflection, which you can do from the comfort of your armchair. You don't have to do any observation, you don't have to do any experiment. And many of the classic philosophical puzzles do seem to have that character, which is not to say, actually, that um, armchair reflection doesn't play a role in science too. It does. There are some very nice illustrations. Galileo is supposed to have chucked two balls off the Leaning Tower of Pisa, a big one and a small one, to see which one would land first or whether they land at the same time actually he almost certainly didn't do the experiment what he did was he ran a thought experiment in his armchair he said if the Arist aristotle's theory is correct that the, the heavier ball will fall faster than the lighter ball then by combining the two balls together with a string the two balls should fall faster than they would individually yeah but by tying them together the smaller ball will now act as a drag or break on the larger ball. So the two balls should now fall slower than the two balls individually. So Aristotle's law produces a contradiction, a logical contradiction. It cannot possibly be true, and you can show it's false from the comfort of your armchair without doing an experiment. So there are things we can find out just by thinking about stuff. You don't have to do an experiment, and that's what philosophers do, although I admit that was a scientific example. In, in the face of so much reason and evidence why do you think people cling to these belief systems so strongly and will do anything to argue against it like you said that any reasonable person going up against a new age creationist is going to be in pretty real trouble in an argument because they go mm. so far to try and find arguments to support it yes. because it's not just religion I mean you kind of think okay maybe they're arguing because of their faith but things like conspiracy theories it's not a faith but they will still fight their corner really really mm. hard why do you think people cling to them so hard well, again, you're asking a philosopher a psychological question. Um, there are all sorts of theories about why certain belief systems are attractive. Um, there's some very interesting theories about why belief in invisible beings, for example, is very popular the world over. Um, one pretty plausible explanation is that in the kind of environment in which we evolved and developed human beings, um, you need to be very, very sensitive to the presence of other agents who have beliefs and desires. So you can explain things in terms of natural causes, and then you can explain things in terms of somebody wanting something, desiring it, having certain beliefs and acting on them. And um, so if there's a tiger nearby, you need to be aware that there is an agent that wants to eat you and believes that if it leaps at you, it, it can eat you. So you, you turn on immediately your agent detecting device, picks out the tiger straight away. In fact, it's very useful to be oversensitive to tigers and other agents because if you miss one, it's going to kill you. Whereas if you think there's one there and there isn't, uh, it's, it's not not such a disaster. So we've evolved to be oversensitive to agents, which means that when you hear a rustle in the bushes behind you, you spin around thinking 
there's someone there, right? You do. You can't help it. It's hardwired into you. Um, and when you can't see anyone there, you'll think, oh, it must be, they must be invisible then. So invisible agents. is a, It's something we're hardwired to believe. Um, we find it very difficult not to believe that there are invisible agents at work in the world. We really have to work at it to turn that off. And are there any strategies that are reasonable... Per, uh, as in, I mean that in the sense of the person who would use reason as an argument for something. Are there any strategies that someone like that can employ against some of these intellectual black holes? Or do you think that it's fighting a losing battle and these people are never going to give it up? No, people do come out. I mean, I, on my blog, I asked, uh, is there anyone out there that's ever, that used to be a young Earth creationist and isn't anymore? And what was it that brought you out? And there certainly are quite a few people that have come out of that belief system. And it tends to be, it tends to be, Thinking, reason, exposure to people that ask questions and encourage people, you, you to think about it more deeply that, that, that tends to do the work. Um, that seems to be the secret. So I, well, I, it seems to me the most important thing is that we raise our kids to have some immunity to intellectual snake oil. You know, when my kid walks down the road and some wide-eyed true believer presses a leaflet into her hands, I want to know that she's got some immunity to the bullshit that's going to be in the leaflet. Um, and if she doesn't, we, she's going to be in terrible trouble. So it seems to me we have a responsibility to make sure young people grow up with a reasonably, you know, reasonably good functioning bullshit detector. They should teach that in all schools. The bullshit detector lesson yeah. should be there. It should be everywhere. Every classroom should have, you know, every school should have a class in bullshit detecting. And so kind of, you know, grounding them in reason and questioning you know not just going oh okay you've provided me with this rather circuitous thought reason for why this is true and there's no actual well, evidence yeah. for it i mean really to a large extent it's critical thinking but it's it's the it's critical thinking made fun isn't it bullshit detecting uh it's like thinking like a detective uh solving puzzles getting to the bottom of these great big mysteries about aliens and the supernatural and so on kids love all of that stuff so you can make critical thinking fun if you do it this way i think i think we should you can make critical thinking fun if you call it the sherlock holmes and bullshit detector class i think that's what we should call it let's call it that thank you for downloading this thinkcon 2012 thinkcast till next time